Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. Let's turn to Mark 15, and we'll begin this lesson in verse 20. Mark chapter 15, verse 20. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him and put his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. And they compel one Simon a Cyrenian who passed by, coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. And they bring him unto the place Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of a skull. And they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not." Now, here uh, Christ has already been condemned to die. Uh, The soldiers, of course, have been mocking him and and beating him. And now he's being led out to the place of crucifixion. And you see along the way, it mentions this Simon, a Cyrenian. And Simon is a Hebrew name. Um, Cyrene, though, would be a, a city down in North Africa in Libya. And uh, this, this Simon probably is there in Jerusalem for the feast day, right? Remember, this is around the time of the Passover. And so you have these Jews from many different places coming there to Jerusalem. And uh, this Simon is compelled to bear the cross. Now, this is not an act of charity on his part. This is something where the soldiers that are, are leading Christ out to be crucified, um, apparently seeing he's, that he's having trouble bearing that cross himself, they pull somebody out of the crowd. It says here that this Simon, that he passed by and that he was coming out of the country. Now, uh, a few verses down, verse 25, notice it says it was the third hour Okay, so when when they crucify him, it's the third hour, which would be the third hour after sunup. So about 9 o'clock a.m. So these things are happening previous to that. Now remember that the Lord Jesus Christ has been uh, throughout the night and early morning. He's been in these these various trials. Um, He's he's been before the, uh, the chief priest. He's been before Herod. He's been before Pilate. Right. And and uh, there's all these things going on here. And now it's it's not even nine o'clock in the morning. They're leading him out to crucify him. Now, now Simon is probably coming into the city. Right. It says he came in from from the country or coming. He was coming out of the country. So Simon is just there on his way into the city and he meets this procession that's headed out of the city to the place of crucifixion. And is probably just picked at random here to to uh, bear that cross, and you see you see Christ's weakness here. Uh, now again, remember he's probably hasn't had any sleep that night. He's been beaten numerous times throughout the night, and he's going here to his death carrying this heavy cross. And and you see, but you see Christ's weakness. And remember that that that's what Christ is doing in going to the cross. He's he's not going to the cross to be strong. He's going to the cross to be weak. And here we have the the same Lord Jesus Christ who could walk on the water, who could command the wind and waves, who could take uh, a few loaves of bread and a few fishes and feed thousands of people, who could cast out devils and even raise the dead. 
And yet here we are at the end of his life and we don't see any of that power on display because he's humbling himself. You see, he's humbling himself even to the death of the cross. And here Christ in his weakness, as he goes there to the cross, can't even carry that physical wooden cross to the place where they're going to crucify him. Um, you know, this, this one who has this great power, who truly is God in human flesh. And yet we, what we see on display here is not his deity, but his humanity. And, and we see the Lord in his weakness so that another man has to come and bear what he can't. Now understand that what Christ is going to accomplish on that cross is not something that anyone else can help him to bear. It's something that, that he alone is uniquely suited to bear. But we see here um, Simon being compelled to, to help bear his cross to the place. And, and understand when the scripture talks about, talks about um, whether it be Christ bearing his cross or, or when Christ uh, talked about those who needed to take up their cross and follow him, it's not about strength. It's not that Christ here is, is showing us a, a good example of how to face death with, with strength because you don't see strength here. Bearing that cross is about weakness. And, and Simon is the one who shows the strength, right? He's the one who has to come in and, and help bear the thing that Christ can't. Uh, because of his weakness, but Christ in his weakness is going to bear some things that Simon cannot. He's going to bear the sin of the world. And, and so they compel this Simon to come and carry the cross and they take him to Golgotha. Um, Golgotha is from, from the Hebrew term or the uh, Aramaic term that would mean, it gives you the interpretation there, the place of a skull. Uh, another term that's used is Calvary. And Calvary is a word that comes into the, into the English Bible through the Latin that means essentially the same thing. Now, it's not exactly certain what that, that name is referring to, the place of a skull. Uh, it's, it's been assumed that it's referring to a, a hilltop there that resembled a skull. That's one possibility. Um, it's, in fact, the exact place of the crucifixion is not really known. A, a lot of these sites, if you go to Jerusalem today, they'll point out to you what's accepted as being the site of the crucifixion. Uh, but a lot of these sites were not identified necessarily based on any kind of historical accuracy or anything like that. In fact, many of those sites uh, you know, around, around in the Middle East were identified by the mother of Emperor Constantine. Uh, Emperor Constantine claimed conversion to Christianity, and his mother went on this tour of, of uh, you know, these biblical lands and pointed out different places and said, oh, that's Mount Sinai, and, and uh, you know, that's, that's where Christ was crucified, and, and you know, pointed out these various sites. Uh, so there's a lot of question about where actually the historical site is, but this is a place outside of Jerusalem. Uh, most likely that it's named for the, the shape of the, of the hill there that you know, looks like the, the top of a skull. Um, it could also be a reference even to just that it was a place of crucifixion and a place of death. Uh, you know, so there's other possibilities there. But they bring him there to that place, that place of Golgotha, that place of Calvary. And, and you see it says that they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. Now, what this probably was here, this wine mingled with myrrh, is there is record of 
among the Jews, you know, crucifixion was something that was used throughout the Roman Empire, but among the Jews, there were, there were especially um, women that were considered to be honorable women who would, would you know, go out to this place where people were condemned to die and, and were crucified, and they would give them this, this mixture of wine mixed with myrrh or some other kind of a, a narcotic that would dull the pain as an act of mercy upon them, all right? Now, um, it could be as well here that these aren't necessarily the honorable women, but maybe some of those women that are going to be mentioned later that are, are there watching at the crucifixion. Um, the, uh, you know, he's also, before the day is done, he's also going to be given vinegar to drink as well, but this seems to be something different here. But notice he doesn't receive it. Now, for one thing, he had told his disciples that he was not going to drink of the fruit of the vine again until he drank it with them in his father's kingdom. And here as they offer him this wine, this fruit of the vine, he won't receive it. Um, but also the intent of this was, again, as an act of mercy to dull the pain of, of the crucifixion. And remember that Christ is going there. Christ isn't going there just to, just to uh, you know, get through this in some way. He's going there to suffer pain. He's going there to bear that, that pain and, and judgment on the cross. And so it wouldn't be fitting for him to dull that. He has to experience that torment to its fullest as being that sacrifice that's going there in the place of, of sinful man who deserves to suffer that judgment. And so Christ won't accept this mercy. Christ won't accept this thing that would dull his torment there on the cross. Rather, he's going to, he's going to experience it in full. He's going to uh, experience, and again, not just the, the judgment of man, but actually the judgment of God there on the cross of Calvary. He's going to pay the just payment that is due for the, the sins of the world. And it wouldn't do for him to, to dull that pain in any way. And so he refuses this here as they give it to him. Now I'm going to read from verse 24 uh, all the way down to verse 37. And then we'll come back and we'll look at some of the things here with regard to the crucifixion. Verse 24 says, And when they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, what every man should take. And it was the third hour and they crucified him. And the superscription of his accusation was written over the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two thieves, the one on his right hand and the other on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking said among themselves with the scribes, He saved others, himself he cannot save. Let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. And they that were crucified with him reviled him. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, Lama Sabachthani, which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them that stood by when they heard it said, Behold, he calleth Elias. And one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink, saying, Let alone, let us see whether Elias will come to take him down. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. And here you have Mark's account of the, the crucifixion and death of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Let's go back to verse 24. And notice it says, when they had crucified him. And the, that term crucify there is, is referring to him actually being nailed to the cross, being placed upon that cross. So the, the things that we read in, the, in uh, the first few verses in this lesson um, were preceding the actual crucifixion. But now here they, they take and they place him there upon that cross. They uh, take those nails and pound them into his hands and his feet and place him on the cross, and they place that cross upright for him to hang there. And you see, as, as he's hanging there, they part his garments. And, you know, they take, if you read some of the other gospel accounts, um, he has several, several uh, pieces of his garments there that they split up between them. And there's also a, a garment there that doesn't have a seam that they can separate it easily. And so they decide, well, instead of dividing it up between us, let's cast lots. And whoever gets it will keep the whole thing. And, and so they're casting lots uh, upon his garments. Uh, this would be the, the soldiers there, the Roman soldiers that are attending at this crucifixion. And uh, you know, these Roman soldiers were not always very well paid. They weren't always very well provisioned. And, and so here you see, I mean, whatever the Lord had as far as his garments, it wasn't much. Um, and yet, you know, they're even dividing that between themselves. And, and you see that the crucifixion, the Christ being placed there on the cross, begins at that third hour. And again, that would be about nine o'clock in the morning. It's going to be six hours that Christ hangs there on the cross. Um, it's it's uh, finally the, the ninth hour when he gives up the ghost. And so here at the third hour at, at uh, nine o'clock in the morning is when they crucify him. And, and they they put this superscription, they put this, this uh, title up over his head that says, the king of the Jews. Now, there was some controversy uh, about what's written there. Uh, what this was, is it's the, it's the accusation against him. And remember how Pilate had questioned him about whether he was the, the king of the Jews. And, uh, and, and his answer to Pilate was, thou sayest it, right? But... Uh, there was some controversy here about, about uh, writing this title up above his head. If you go to John, uh, go to John chapter 19 and verse 19. And uh, here John fills in a, a few additional details for us. It says, And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Now they, they write it there in three separate languages. Uh, of course, you know, Greek and Latin would be the, the uh, languages of the Roman Empire and Hebrew would be the language of the Jewish people. And so, so you know, whether it be... Uh, Romans or, or, you know, people from other areas of the empire or whether it be the, the local Jews there, they're able to read the accusation. But notice in verse 21, it says, Then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. Right? So they're concerned as people are coming into the city. This, this crucifixion is taking place outside of the gates of the city. And they're concerned as people are coming into the city and they read this accusation. Uh, that, that uh, you know, it says he's the king of the Jews, 
they wanted to say he claimed he was the king of the Jews. They don't want to lend any kind of credence to his claim as if he's being killed. You know, oftentimes rival kings would kill one another to sustain their power. They don't want this to appear as if he really was the king of the Jews, but just that he made that claim. But you see what Pilate's answer is in verse 22. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. And, and Pilate, again, Pilate throughout this whole thing has been somewhat reluctant to go along with what they're doing here. Uh, even Pilate, that, that brutal man, uh, was, was reluctant to uh, give in to their demands. And, and here he doesn't give in. He gave in on crucifying the Lord, but he doesn't give in on changing the accusation above his head that's, that's there at the top of the cross. And he just says, what I've written, I've written. Now let's go back to Mark chapter 15. Verse 27 says, And with him they crucify two thieves, the one on his right hand and the other on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Now that quote, he was numbered with the transgressors, we find in Isaiah chapter 53. And let's turn back there. Isaiah 53 is one of these Old Testament chapters that describes in great detail the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, we'll, we'll look at several of these through the course of our study. But Isaiah chapter 53, probably more than any other Old Testament passage, presents the, the crucifixion, not just the details of the crucifixion. It has those as well, but also the purpose of it in that Jesus Christ was dying for iniquities. He was paying for iniquities there on the cross. You see in Isaiah 53, verse 3, it says of Christ that he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. Now we saw that in the various trials that he went through. Um, Christ had very few words to say and no words to say in his own defense. He didn't open his mouth. Verse 8 says he was taken from prison and from judgment. Now, here we've seen that. He, he's been in prison. He's been before the judgment seat, and he was taken from there. We saw that as the soldiers brought him there to Golgotha. Uh, he was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion 
with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Here, here we have Christ. He's numbered with the transgressors. Now, he himself has committed no sin. And yet you see throughout this, this entire chapter here in Isaiah that he would die as an offering for sin. He would make his soul an offering for sin. And so it's fitting that even though he himself is not a sinner, he's killed there with sinners. And in effect, he becomes a sinner. Or as 2 Corinthians 5 says, he was made to be sin. You see, he takes that sin on him in a judicial way where he actually becomes guilty for sin. Now here in Isaiah 53, it, it doesn't reveal the complete fullness of what he was going to accomplish there on the cross. Isaiah 53 is focusing on the nation of Israel. But we find out later that it wasn't just Israel that he died there. It wasn't just Israel's sins that he died for on the cross of Calvary. Uh, the Apostle John writes in his epistles that he was the propitiation for not, not for our sin only, not for Israel's sin only, but for the sin of the whole world. And that includes you and I. And, and so Jesus Christ, as he goes there to the cross, he's numbered with the transgressors in the sense that he's crucified there between these two thieves. But he's also numbered with the transgressors in the sense that he is going there as a substitute. He's going there in place of every transgressor who has ever lived. And, and uh, you see that, um, again, when you take Isaiah 53 and then you know, put it together with, with a lot of other verses, you see the, the fullness of what Christ is accomplishing there on the behalf of sinners and the behalf of transgressors. Um, if, we, if we go back to our text again then in Mark 15. So he's numbered there with the transgressors. And you see what the people are saying as they, as they uh, pass by. It says, they that passed by, verse 29, Mark 15, 29, they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, ah, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days. Now, remember, that was the accusation that they brought against him, that, that he said he was going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. And he did talk about the destruction of the temple, and, and he talked about his body as well. He talked about in, in the sense of being a, a temple that he would... Destroy, that they would destroy, really, and that he would raise again in three days. But uh, you see, they're, they're, the people that in general are mocking him. They're saying to him, save thyself and come down from the cross. You see, the chief priests are there mocking. He saved others. Himself he cannot save. Um, you, you can just hear the mocking in their voice in verse 32 when they say, let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. Now, they have obviously have no intention of believing in him. Even if he were to have come down from the cross, they weren't going to believe on him. Uh, and, and of course, we know that not only he's, he's not going to descend from the cross because there's a work he has to complete there, but he's going to rise from the dead. And, and uh, if, they're, you know, if they were legitimate here in saying that if he comes down from the cross, they'll believe in him, then certainly they would have believed when he rose from the dead. And, uh, you know, there was, there was uh, certainly clear testimony that it was true that he had risen from the dead and they still didn't believe. And, you know, what's a, what's a greater miracle for him to come down from the cross or for him to die and rise from the dead, right? Uh, so here, here, you know, these chief priests are just mocking him that, you know, in, in calling him to come down from the cross. And notice it says, and they that were crucified with him reviled him. 
Not only are the people and the chief priests mocking him, but the men that are in the same state that he is, that are there on the crosses to the left and to the right of him, they're reviling him as well. Uh, they, they join in even here as they're condemned to die and are in the very process of execution. They revile the Lord Jesus Christ as well. Now, of course, you understand that uh, before the day was over, one of them stopped reviling the Lord Jesus Christ. And go over to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, we can see the account here regarding, regarding uh, these thieves. Luke chapter 23, verse 39, it says, And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. Um, now, again, he's, he's there mocking, but on the off chance that maybe he really is the one, he, he says, if you're the one, you know, the, the people and the chief priests are saying, if you're the Christ, save yourself. He says, if you're the Christ, save yourself and save us too. But notice verse 40, but the other answering rebuked him, saying, dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And so you, while well, you see that, that uh, these two thieves, these two malefactors, originally they, they both are reviling Christ. You see that as the one, as he observes the Lord Jesus Christ, he knows his own guilt. He knows he belongs there where he is. But as he observes the Lord Jesus Christ, he's able to see what, again, what was uh, clear even to, even to Pilate and, and others who had a chance to observe the Lord Jesus Christ. He sees that, as he says at the end of verse 41, this man hath done nothing amiss. You see, and, and though he began by reviling Christ, before the day is over, he's convinced of the truth of who Jesus claimed to be. And he becomes a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. He asks him to remember him when he comes into his kingdom. And you, you see, but by the way, you notice the difference between the, the request made by the two thieves. The one thief who is, is the unbeliever, he calls on Christ to save him out of the consequences of his sin. The other man, he recognizes the guilt of his sin. He recognizes the righteousness and what's happening to him. But he asks the Lord to remember him when he comes into his kingdom. You see, he asks for a, an eternal request. The, the unbelieving thief, he just wants a, a rescue from his immediate circumstances and, and from the consequences of his own sin. The other man is willing to accept the consequences of his sin. But he looks for an eternal Reward, And you see, he asks the Lord to remember him when he comes into his kingdom. And, and the Lord Jesus Christ uh, tells him that that very day, that man would be with him in paradise. Now, as you listen to this message, maybe, maybe you have been guilty, as both of these thieves were, of reviling the Lord Jesus Christ in the past. Um, but you see the opportunity there here. Even it, it, was, it was never too late for this thief. It was never too late for this thief to become a believer in Christ. Here he is, not on his deathbed, but on his death cross. Uh, as he's in the very process of being executed for his sin. He can't deny the guilt of what he had done. He can't deny that he's a sinner. But you see what he does. He, he acknowledges 
his sinfulness, but he turns to the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ to save him. Now, he didn't understand everything that was being accomplished there. He didn't understand how, how that man hanging next to him was even paying for his sin in God's sight. Um, but you see that he knew enough to trust the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and the promise uh, that God has given is that to him that worketh not, you see this, this man hanging there on the cross, he couldn't do anything to work his own salvation. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. And that thief there, uh, guilty, condemned to die before man, that, that moment he believed was found to be righteous before God so that he could be assured of paradise. And the same is true for anyone who puts their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The moment you stop trusting yourself and your ability and, and your religion and your good works to save you, and, and the moment you acknowledge your sinfulness and your unworthiness before God and turn to not your own work, but the work of the Lord Jesus Christ that he did in paying for your sin, in, in making that complete payment that satisfies the justice of God, God will count you as righteous as a free gift, not something you work for. Again, this thief couldn't work. There was nothing he could earn as far as his righteousness was concerned, but he simply believed on Christ and he was counted righteous before God on the basis of, of that faith that he had in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the same offer is available to any today who will put their faith in Christ. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.